welcome to the Swim Coach in Transit podcast. I am your host, Lucas Ferreira. In this episode, I sat down with Mike Colabier, who's the founder and owner of Nitro Swim Club in Austin, Texas. Prior to founding Nitro, Mike worked as a coach and swim teacher in three different states, including very near my current home in Georgia. And he also had a career away from swimming. As you're about to hear from him, he still gravitates towards working with the entry levels of the sport on a day-to-day basis, but also has a club that operates on the highest competitive levels. Mike is also yet another guest that, on top of his day-to-day work as a coach, is deeply involved in governance, currently serving as the president of the ESCA Board of Directors, which we did get to talk about in more detail as well. There's much more to this conversation, and it's better if you hear from Mike than from me. So, here's another episode of the Swim Coaching Transit podcast with Mike Kolabir. All right, so Mike, first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to take the time and join me for this. My pleasure to be here. Uh, well, let's get right into it. You actually just, uh, as we were getting ready to record here, setting it up, mentioned a lot of coaching this week. And for context, we are doing this interview in late June. And so some teams are back in the water. Some teams are not quite back in the water. Where are you guys at right now? We're still, we're still following the distancing protocols. Um, typically, one swimmer at both ends of the pool, you know, one at each end. And we just now, I, I had a few little pockets of pool space available for us to try to bring in some other type programming. So we're bringing in what's called a summer rec. So it's like a little more novice preliminary type kids. And still it's the same thing. One at one end, one at the other. And uh, it is difficult to coach brand new kids who are just starting to learn some things. And I usually, you know, my face shields on, I'm in the middle of a pool yelling at one end, yelling the other way. Here's how you streamline fingers underwater, hands on, listen to his voice. And it was, I've got, I've been doing four of those a day since Monday. And again, for context, it's now Thursday, uh, Friday afternoon. And I've got two to, two to go today. Then my boys get some rest tomorrow and Sunday. So. Yikes. Yeah. And you guys are, you're doing that in a 50 meter pool, right? So you probably have a lot more space to cover with that voice. Yeah. We're, exactly. we're, um, we've got our pool set up short course right now to get 23 lanes to allow for a few more kids to be there at one at each end. Um, the exceptions that we have are there's some siblings and if there's siblings in the same group, we've been trying to put, you know, brother, sister, or brother, brother, or sister, sister together at one end that we could actually have three people in that lane, one at one end, two at the other, but only if they're siblings. Okay. Not, not, not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but I'm not complaining. Right. Yeah. Lots of new kinks. But one thing that I talked about with everybody that I talked to during this time is at the same time, I think we were forced to do a lot of things we were not comfortable with. And a lot of people came up saying, you know what, there's some things here that I'm learning that I'm going to probably try to keep in the future. So is there anything that you guys were kind of forced to do uh, due to this situation with the COVID-19 that you're thinking you're probably going to incorporate still? I tell you what we really enjoy is um, the ability to have less kids in front of you. So from that aspect, from a coaching aspect, you can see a lot more. 
because you're not what you're not looking at five or six kids per lane. You've got one. Now, granted, it's a little wider because your lanes, you know, are spreading out. Let's say six, seven, eight lanes wide, but you can pick up things. I think much easier in terms of what to fix, what to work on. Um, it's difficult wearing the masks because when you're wearing a mask on the pool deck, it's hard for a, a, a swimmer to see your expression. Your voice sounds like your voice, but they don't know whether it's said with a smile or it's said, you know, like this. It's it's because you're hidden. So right. I've switched to the face shield personally. Even on the pool deck, wearing the shield, it's more comfortable. I'm getting better air to breathe, and the anything coming out of my mouth is being stopped anyways. I like. I'm a fan of the shield now. The face shield. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, I haven't I haven't worn the shield yet. Seeing when other people are wearing, I mean, I cross people in a grocery store, and it seems a little bit more like the, the hazmat team. <laughs> so at first, I'm yeah, like yeah, a little taken aback. But you have a good yeah. point that you can actually see your face expression a little better, and I think that's so important when when talking to swimmers if they can see. And with you. the with the younger kids, I think it's even more important because they don't know you as well, and they don't really know how to take a loud voice, a gruff voice. You know, but if you can say like this, come on, you guys, you got to streamline, you know, and you've got a smile on the face, you can kind of get away with more. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Yeah, especially because of the setup. Like you said, you are having to yell all the time and you're not necessarily yelling at them. You're yelling because the air, the sound has to carry. So it's exactly good if they right. can understand yeah. that difference. And um, yeah, I definitely felt that difference too in terms of having the smaller groups. I felt like I'm doing a lot more coaching actually because you're, like you said, you have this one kid per lane. You I, There's no excuse not to talk to every kid several times during a workout, right? Whereas exactly when you right. have a bigger group before, whether or not you're, you're aware of it, oftentimes you get kind of like in a pattern of talking to just the people leading the lane and make sure you're managing the workout. In this case, I feel like there's a lot more coaching going on, uh, yep. which is pretty good. Now, I don't know hey, that so, we can't. So, you're, so you're, at, you're at Gwinnett Aquatics. That's correct, yes. Where, where's your pool? Uh, we are in Snellville, uh, which is, um, I mean, I guess you lived in Georgia, right? But yeah, I was, I was on I-85 in Beaver Ruin and um, in Lilburn is where I Okay. Live. Yeah. So I actually live in Lilburn and our pool is about 10 minutes from where I live. Um, Very cool. It, yeah. It's, 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 we have a neighborhood pool that we put a tent on top of and it turned yeah. out to be a great setup because we have full control of the pool. So with this, we were able to really spread our hours and, and still get everybody in. That's, that's critical, having those hours. I, I, I don't know how the teams – I feel for the teams who have very limited pool time anyways. Um, I don't know how they're, gonna, how they're making it work. It's difficult. We're going 5.30 in the morning until about 9 o'clock at night um with very few pockets of breaks other than we pop a summer rec group yeah yeah we're kind of i mean i you guys are even spread more than we are we are about seven in the morning until seven thirty, eight o'clock at night but also like pretty much no break through the day yeah 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 um, yeah. yeah that's the only way we can make yeah. it work right now how did you guys work out your your finances i'm sure you were on the swim coaches idea exchange group on facebook and there was a lot of discussion there in terms of like what is the right thing to do. And I'm curious as to how teams approach this a little differently once you're out in the water and now, and when you were back and doing limited things, how did you guys approach finances? Well, we, we had a lot of families who offered to continue to pay tuition and we didn't take them up on it. 
we didn't, we, we didn't, we just didn't take it because we had enough to make it for when we first were told in the middle of March, everybody was, Hey, we're going to all be out of the water. Remember that? That was a, a fateful day for all of us. And at least here where we were, they said, you got to give us 14 days. Everyone's got to be out for 14 days. And so we're doing the math. We're thinking, uh, can we make it for 14 days, a half a month of March? Okay. So we'll credit all of our families for the month of March, for half, half of March. And we'll be back April 1st. No problem. We got this. April 1st came around. We're not back. No one's back in the water. And then it was April 15th, April 20th, April 28th. The dates kept on changing. And now we're starting to dig in because our biggest expense is payroll. And I was fighting. I, I No, we're going to keep these coaches. We're going to keep them. I'm going to keep paying them because, no, we'll be back next week. We'll be back next week. We'll be back next week. And it kept on digging a bigger hole. And we had applied for those PPP loans. And the programs are the PPP program. And it took us a while to get approved. But we were approved for, for our locations. And so we have the money. And now we've got to be so careful how we're using that money in terms of when you bring back staff. So our Cedar Park location had to, had to be furloughed, I guess, for about two weeks. And then we brought them right back. The Nitro B-Cave location, other location, we got that PP notice on the very last day that we were deciding on what, what are we going to do. And we got that and we kept them on board. So we got a lot of maintenance work done. The coaches were working hard, uh, painting, uh, scrubbing, cleaning everything, um, updating things, need to be updated. So they, they were busy, very busy. And we got back in the water. Uh, May 11th was our upper level group. They got back in. So we had one week to try them first. And then once we knew we had the bugs worked out, we brought in the rest of the, we opened up everything for May 18th. So we've been in the water since May 18th. So it's been a month, a month as of you know yesterday. And things are actually going, I think, rather smoothly. It's hard from a confidence standpoint because confidence of people around the area and anywhere around the country, you know, there's a lot of folks that are really, really spooked about, you know, this virus, rightfully so. There's other folks that lean on the other side of the fence going, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. And so when that happens, you're going to get about half your team back and the other half's going to be waiting for a little longer. But what we're seeing is every week, more and more kids are beginning to come back because we have openings for them in a lane. The kids are assigned that lane on that day. So that way we know in the unlikely event that somebody may contract the virus, we know where this swimmer has been swimming, who's on both sides of that swimmer and who's sharing that lane from the other end of the pool. So they're, they're actually assigned lanes. They don't get to go wherever they want to go uh, when they show up like in the, in the past. Yeah, that's a pretty good point. So that in case there is any kind of positive test within the team, you can do a good job contact tracing and, and making sure that you can isolate that. And it's, and it's the same thing with our lessons pools because we're, we're teaching lessons. But instead of having, uh, we're wearing the face shields, you know, on the water for our instructors. But normally I could have 10 or 11 teachers in the water at once teaching, you know, large lessons. We've got three. There's three teachers at a time teaching. And they're spread out across that pool with their kids. And the kids are spread out. But those three teachers, 
they teach together. So whenever that team of teachers, when they come back, it's just those three. And it's just those three. Again, same thing. If any one of them comes in contact with the virus, I'm only going to be out three teachers, not the exponential possibility of our whole staff having to be out of the water. So we're trying to limit, I guess, damage control should the worst case scenario happen. Yeah, that's, that, that that's a really, yeah, it does. It's a really good point in terms of uh, some considerations as, as we're getting back into and, and we don't know how long this is going to last, right? Everybody's holding their breath, hoping that this is going to be a quick thing, but we really don't know in reality. Correct. So uh, I'm going to go back to what would be my, my usual start if we didn't, we're, we're not dealing yep. with this scenario right now. And the first question I would have for everybody is uh, just ask you to talk about your, your path in swimming as an athlete and then as a coach leading up to where you are today. And when you do that, you can be as succinct or as detailed as you like to do. So just kind of just share your path to this point. Gotcha. I was, I was uh, born and raised in Michigan. And I did my age group swimming in Michigan, began with a summer league team. I kind of, I kind of much did it, pretty much did it all in terms of summer league. Uh, YMCA was my first uh, foray into the year-round swimming. I was about, uh, let's see, six seven, eight, seven, turning eight years old. And I started doing the year round uh, at the Flint, Michigan YMCA with my first coach, Gene Goins. And it, well, my dad was my very first coach, but then Gene, Gene took over from there. And I had two older brothers that swam, my younger sister swam. So we were the prototypical, you know, swimming family that did other things. Um, I loved baseball. I played football, basketball, and baseball and swam. Um, did not go to a one sport scenario until 10th grade. I dropped everything but swimming. Uh, that was in 10th grade. Uh, swam through high school and club. Uh, swam NCAA Division II at a school called Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan with my coach Pete Hubland. He's still there today coaching. Um, now Division II, now they're Division I. And, um, you know, Devin Nowicki is pretty much, I guess, the, the brushstroker you may have heard of. Um, he spent some time with Pete over at Oakland. And from there on out, I took about a 10-year break from the pool. So this we're talking now 19, I'm going back now, uh, 87 out of college. And I didn't start coaching again until 1997. So for 10 years, I wasn't near a pool. I took the corporate route, uh, worked right there in Georgia uh, for a lot of those years at a company called Lithonia Lighting in Conyers. And... Um, that's where I spent many years and sitting under the fluorescent lights, sitting in a cubicle just wasn't my idea of living and you do some soul searching when you're in those situations. And my soul searching was what would I do and not have to get paid to do it, but still love it. What would that be? And it was swim teaching and swim coaching. I missed the pool. I missed the water. I missed being around that environment. And that's what kind of drove me back towards the water. Um, ended up taking a job as a summer league coach with the Dunwoody Country Club right there in North Atlanta. And from there, um, a couple private lessons led me into Swim Atlanta, Johns Creek. And I met a couple coaches in there and they saw me teaching a little bit. And they said, hey, you want to coach? 
And I said, sure. And they hired me like on the spot. It was pretty funny. Back then there wasn't much background. There wasn't much background checks. <laughs> and um, so I coached with, Atlanta with, with uh, Chris Davis for a couple of years, uh, took a corporate job again because they offered just a, a lot of money back then. <laughs> and, and I went, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But I asked the guy, I said, that hired me. I said, I've got to be able to still coach. I've got to scratch the itch of coaching. So do you have any problem with me still coaching and working for you during the day? And he said, not at all. Would love you to coach. Okay, good. So they moved me to Greensboro, North Carolina. I was there for two and a half months. And they said, we're moving to Austin, Texas. And I went, oh my gosh, that's tumbleweeds and cows and prairie fields and oil wells and tornadoes. And it's not Austin, Texas. Austin is gorgeous. I came out here and I was newly married. Um, we went from, Tracy and I have been married now for 21 years. And we went from engaged to married in three weeks because of the move out to Texas. And it all worked. And so here we are now in Texas. And I was starting to coach part-time. The company I was with started taking a dive and I then went all in on swimming. And it's the best decision we made as a, as a family. And uh, I, so I started coaching out here part-time. And, but I'm looking for the swim centers. I'm, okay, where are the pools? Where are the indoor pools? Like, where are the swim Atlantas? Where are the Dynamos? Where are the uh, Chattahoochee Golds? Where's, uh, you know, you know where, where, are the, um, where are the pools? And there weren't any other than the University of Texas. And there's a couple of YMCAs. And I told my wife at that point, newly married couple, we didn't have two nickels to rub together at that time. And I said, we're going to build a swim center. And she says, basically, how? And I said, I don't know how, but we're going to do it. And from the moment we did the napkin sketch to opening up our first location was about five and a half or six years in I worked hard on getting this thing up, opened and getting it ready. And it blood, sweat, and tears. And it's not for the faint of heart. But if anybody out there wants to build their own swim center and build their own pool and own their own water, I'm just here to tell you it's possible. It's very, very possible. So that's right. That, that's really cool. And then I guess started with one center. And now you guys, do you own all three centers you operate out of? No, we, we, we have two. Okay. Uh, one's in Cedar Park, Texas. One's in Bee Cave, Texas on the west side. Um, we have a satellite location that we're renting during the, during the school year. Uh, we get booted out of there for the summer leagues. And that's a small, just a small satellite. And we're, we're looking at a third location now to do another 50-meter indoor a little bit south of Austin. That's pretty cool. And, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been to Austin once. And I, I can vouch that Austin, Texas is actually a fantastic city. It's a cool place to be. If, yeah, if anybody's wondering, it's, it's actually really cool. And it, it keeps growing, right? So I think you also have that, that in mind when you're thinking about your team continues to grow. The, the city, from what I understand, is actually one of the fastest growing cities in the country. It, and, it's, and it's growing out, you know, similar to Atlanta, uh, what Atlanta did and what Atlanta still does. And so we're, we're going to be further outside of Austin, but it's um, like all – all three of these locations will be outside of Austin where pretty much where the, where the houses are going. 
Okay, yeah. You mentioned many names already in that path. I don't know if there's any, a few of those or anything, anyone else that you would like to highlight that has served as a mentor for you through that path. Well, from, from a coaching standpoint, it's, it's funny. When I, when I left from Atlanta, I was really attached to these kids. I, you know, typical coach, you love the kids you're coaching. And I was only there for two years, but those two years, you just developed the relationships. The families were awesome. The kids were awesome. Uh, to this day, this was 1999. So that's 20-some years ago. I'm Facebook friends with some of them today. You know, and it's, it's just it's nice to stay in touch. But I remember when I was leaving, and I give this advice to anybody who's leaving a team or leaving their position of coaching to do anything. What, once, when you're leaving those kids, don't make it about yourself when you're leaving. You know, you're telling the kids, don't, don't over-dramatize it. You've got to really try to put a, um, I guess, a, as non-emotional as possible. Because these are kids. And these are, you know, anywhere from 8, 9, 10, sometimes 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds. And if you're, if you're making a huge deal, oh, my gosh, I'm so, you're making it a tragedy. The best thing you can do is get the next coach set up for success. Whoever's going to come in there after you. And the way I did it, and I, I like this approach a lot, is I had a whiteboard. And in the whiteboard, I had, I think, 18 names, just first names. And it started with Don, Gene, Mark, Leonard, uh, Gary. Um, I mean, you name it. And I had them all down there. And I had each group of kids come in one at a time. And I have my little board. And I said, anybody knows who's, who's on this list? Who are these people? And they said, you know, whatever, you know, friends of yours, oh, yeah, some of them, uh, for whatever. Eventually it gets around to, they were coaches. They were my coaches. Every one of those guys on this, people on this list, guys and girls, every name was a coach of mine. Go ahead, pick a name, and I'll tell you something about that coach. And they'd pick a name, and I'd tell us about that coach. That guy threw chairs at us. He picked somebody else. Oh, that guy was hilarious. He always had a joke every day. You know, whatever it was. And I could tell a joke. I could tell a story about each one of those names. And I said, now, you all are creating your own list. You're having a list now that's building over the years. And I've taught you everything I can teach you at this point. There's nothing else I can do for you. The next guy coming in, which happened to be Mark Manier. Remember Mark? I don't think He's I up in Carolina. He's up in Carolina now. He, was, he took over for me. He's from Atlanta. And I knew who he was. And I said, next guy coming in? He knows 10 times what I do. He's awesome. You're going to love this guy. He's funny. He's a great coach. Now it's your turn to put me on the list. And Mark comes next. And I love my time here. And I'll be seeing you guys. Down. You know, you, you approach it in that kind of a way, for me at least, you don't want tears from little kids. Uh, it's emotional. I mean, you're leaving these, you're leaving these kids. And, and you're, you, you don't know what you meant to a lot of them until later. And um, I just like that approach. I, I, I'm not a fan of the coach who, you know, is when they're leaving a program saying, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to miss you guys so much. And you guys can always text me and you can stay in touch with me. And no, you don't. You've got to let the other coach, you've got to get there, got to give them a chance for success. And um, the sooner that happens, I think the better. And, uh, and kids are resilient. So that's a pretty good advice in terms of setting up for success with whoever comes, comes after you. I think that's really yeah, good. Help, help the next coach. Yeah. 
So uh, in talking, uh, you kind of mentioned a couple of times already, you, uh, you're the head coach for Nitro Swim Club, but you also do a lot of things with uh, novice kids still, and you started with Lassen. So do you have, I mean, I think that's somewhat unusual, but you seem to really enjoy actually working with the kids' entry point into the sport. Is that accurate? 100% accurate. And I, I've, got, I've got two lead site coaches now, uh, Dan Rosek is at Cedar Park and Randy Teeters is at uh, Nitro Bee Cave. And they run, they run the highest level groups that we have in the pool. And they're overseeing staffing and making sure things are scheduled correctly, making sure things run right. I tend to gravitate towards the lower end of the program, I suppose you want to call it that, uh, lessons, the novice kids, the recreational kids, the ones that are doing the, the um, tune-up clinics. You know, I'm usually around for the clinics. And I just, I find that that's where my time is best spent in terms of feeding the base of building and keeping the program running. Um, it is unusual that, you know, I guess I don't call myself the head coach anymore. I, I've been calling myself, you know, I'm, I'm the owner, you know, the owner of Nitro Swimming. I'm kind of a manager now, but I do take care of the, the recreational kids quite a bit. In fact, this week with the summer at kids, I've been doing four sessions a day um, that's hence my voice sounds like it does. Um, it's the first time for me to be really back in the coaching fray. And four of those a day, I've got two tonight on a Friday. So Saturday and Sunday, my voice gets to rest. And I'm excited because next week I should be better. I'm going to pace myself more uh, next week. But I get a lot of satisfaction out of the teaching aspect of coaching. And um, I guess I'll talk about mission mission statement and vision statement. You know, I, I, I wasn't really a big mission statement guy. I've never been, and I've never been a big vision statement guy, but I'm listening to uh, Sirius XM one day, uh, channel 111. It's the business channel. And they've got little programs on half an hour, hour, two hours long uh, throughout the day, just about could be anything. And sometimes I'm interested, sometimes I'm not but I happen to be interested in this one program and I'm listening to it and they're talking about mission statements. And they said, if you run any kind of an entity, you have to have a mission. You've got a mission statement. You just have to. And if you look at the websites across the country for swim programs, the majority of mission statements out there say, we empower young people to be the best they can be through the sport of swimming, you know, or some variation of that. There's no difference between most of these mission statements. And I said, now I got to do something better than that. I got to do something that really means what, what really means something, right? What, what's going to drive you every day. And so it took me honestly, maybe about two minutes. And I came up with this really simple. It's eight words, I guess, maybe nine. If you divide the, the word every day and make every day into two words, I'm not sure you do. I do in this case, but our mission statement is visible improvement period delivered with passion and joy, period, every day. That's all it is. Visible improvement, delivered with passion and joy, every day. And if, think about that on your pool deck right now. If you and your staff could deliver that every day, visible improvement, delivered with passion and joy, you'd have a home run. You'd have a home run every day. In fact, I was telling somebody earlier, I prefer the Monday through Friday, the Monday through Saturday mornings more than I like the meets. Um, I like the day-to-day. -day. 
I like the jokes. I like the stories. I like to hear a nine-year-old tell me something funny. I like to talk to a 17-year-old about why they failed the calculus exam and try to get them back on track. I, I really enjoy that aspect of coaching, connecting with the kids on a deeper level than just streamlines and stroke efficiency and tempo and stroke rates. And so that's where I get my joy out of. And I think part of what's made this program work is that it's gone, it's staff wide. And we really try hard to connect with the kids, even though we're a large program, we're divided up into sections. And I'm telling you, there's good connections with these athletes and coaches, more so than just swimming. It's, it's, it's not about championships and it's not about best times for us. It's, it's, you make that connection and you can, you can impact lives. And that's, that to me is what's just, that's the, that's the essence of coaching. Yeah. That's a great statement right there. That's uh, very good. Uh, I tend, I tend to have, uh, I tend to always grab, I always, I tend to gravitate towards the kids going last in the lane or the lower, the, the back part of the lane. Um, you know, you're always going to have the front row students in a classroom that raise their hand and bring the apple to the teacher and you know, you're always going to have those students and they're easy to connect with because they're just pleasers. It's the, it's the challenging kids that end up becoming, I think the most memorable kids down the road after you coach them and they're challenged because you just haven't quite figured out how to unlock what's in their box. And in once you just, you know, continue to try different angles, different approaches, because you really don't know, and then when you finally do, or five, six years later, 10 years, they come back to visit you and they tell you what an impact you made. And you're like, really? Because you just, you, you didn't really get any feedback from them, but you were consistent every day in terms of just caring about that, that child. And I, I also like that part about it. So when I, when I find somebody who's going fourth, fifth or sixth in a lane, I'm looking for something that they can demonstrate in front of the group. And especially for the younger kids, but think about it. It doesn't matter how old you are as a swimmer. If you're asked by the coach to demonstrate something because you do something good, you can change that kid's life like that because of one comment that you made to them where you spoke praise onto that child who'd never heard it before. They're going sixth in the lane. They've been going sixth in the lane. That's all they've ever done was gone sixth in the lane. And yet they continue to come to practice. Now you, you have them demonstrate. I'm telling you what, they might still be going six in the lane tomorrow, the next day, but they're a different person now. And you have that chance to change that person. And when you can really coach at that level, I think, I mean, is there a better job? I'll call it a job. You know, is there a better thing we could do with our lives than do that with people? I think it's awesome. There's a, a book called The Power of Moments, which talks about moments yep. like that. And um, yeah, it's, it's funny because sometimes as coaches, we don't know the impact we have. Kind of like you said, you don't know it until, until much later, but it, it is very impactful for the kids. And I agree, it's, it's funny when you ask a kid to demonstrate, it, it really doesn't matter how old they are, how old the group is. It's, I mean, yeah, they, they really, they're, they're being showcased. It matters a lot. Yeah, I, 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 was, I presented at one of the ASCA talks a while ago and um, 
I put up a slide and it said, true or false? Um, every kid is different. True or false? And on the surface, most coaches and most people are going to go, true. Everyone's different. And then I'll say, well, it depends. Find me a human being who doesn't want to be appreciated. You know, find me a human being who doesn't want to be told they did a great job. Find me, you know, find me a human being who doesn't want to be loved. And in that regard, every kid's the same. And so there are so many similar human characteristics that we could be, I mean, um, emotions that we could be helping deliver as coaches. And when you start connecting at those levels, you're going to get kids in front of you. They'll run through walls if they know that you really do care about it. And you can get away with a lot more. You can ask them to do more if they know you care about them. And it's more than just a job. So that helps. Uh, so on that answer there, you kind of mentioned ask already, which is, I think is a probably as good of a segue as I'll come up with dive into that a little bit. And for people that are not aware, you are currently the president of the ASCA board of directors. And in prepping for this, you kind of mentioned, yeah, you're, you're kind of new into that role and you, I'm not sure how much you would be able to talk about, but I was interested if you can, really, if you just share what you share with me by email in terms of uh, what you're trying to do with ASCA. And I guess you mentioned it's trying to make it a no-brainer for any coach to join in terms of the education that it's being provided. Well, I tell you what, it was, it was it's, it's kind of humorous, I think, in a way. Um, you know, John Leonard, who was head of ASCA for years and years and years, um, retired, and the ASCA board brought in a, a gentleman by the name of Steve Rausch. Steve has oodles of experience from, I mean, you name it, every level of swimming and the admin side of USA Swimming. And we were walking, I, I was on the board, just being a, a normal board member, and learning, I guess, how things work from an ASCA board position. And so I'm, I'm a pretty good observer. I'm not the kind of guy who's going to jump into a board position in the very first meeting. You know, I got this suggestion. I think we should do this. I think I'm a guy that's going to kind of sit back a little bit and try to see how things are and then where can I add value. And from a value standpoint, it's, it's been my contention that as long as we keep the information relevant, that coaches want whatever that information is, whatever it is, from an education standpoint, certification standpoint, coach's voice, advocacy, you know, whatever is important to coaches, I want to be a, an advocate of that. Second thing is, it's got to be valuable. You know, what, what does ASCA provide? What can we provide that's worth the $8 a month or whatever it is? To, it's about that to be a member of ASCA. It's about $8 a month to make sure that's worthwhile, especially when there's so much information online that's free. You know, there's, there's the coaches exchange groups, there's the YouTube groups, there's, you can get, I, I'm, a, I'm a member of Go Swim with Glenn Mills. I, I love Glenn Mills service. Um, now that's part of an ASCA membership now. They give you a special deal to get the Go Swim membership connected with ASCA, which I think is phenomenal. That in itself is worth the value. So we're, we're getting ready to walk into the ASCA meeting I'm smiling last September and we're in Dallas and I called my wife, Tracy, and I said, Tracy, I think they're wanting me, me to be the board president. And she says, Are you kidding me? And I says, no, I said, there's no way. I said, I've got too many irons in the fire. 
too many, my bandwidth is, you know, maxed out, you know, doing everything else. I'm on our LSC um, advisory um, committee on that one too. And I got some things going on, right? And I said, I just can't, I can't, I can't. Well, then up walks Mark Schubert. And if you ever met Coach Schubert, he's pretty hard to say no to. And he looks at me and he pokes me in the chest and he says, you got to do this. And I kind of went, oh, okay. And I walked into this meeting and um, they nominated me and I just said, yes, I do it. And I'll do as best I can. I'm not a Robert's Rules kind of guy. I don't even know how to call a meeting to order. I don't know how it works with motions on the floor and, you know, all the formalities of running a meeting. But if you tell me something's got to get done, I'll figure out a way or I'll find the people to help get that thing done, whatever it is. It might not be the traditional sense of following all the perfect, you know, protocol rules to do it. If it's got to get done, it's important. We're going to do it. Um, I will say this, the, there's a cyber, the, the world clinic this, uh, this September is going to be a cyber clinic, right? And at first glance, you're thinking, oh, not more Zooms, not more <laughs> webinars, you know, but it's a heck of a lineup. And this is what's really cool about this. In the past, at an ASCO World Clinic, they've got tracks, right? Have you ever been to a World Clinic? It, yeah. You've got to kind of pick who are you going to see. And you look at the, you look at the program, and you're thinking, huh, okay, I got Bob Bowman over here. But shoot, I got Glenn Mills over here. Uh, Dr. G's over there. I've got, uh, you know, whoever's going to be. I've got uh, Tara McKeever. She's talking about, gosh darn, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where to go. And so if you're with people of your staff, you can send somebody else in that room and then you've got this and you can compare notes, right? This is what's cool about this year because it's a cyber conference. There's going to be over 30 hours worth of material. I mean, good presentation, not just the average presentation. This is how I do my workout. It's going to be great stuff for once. One is, um, which I'm really excited about, it's the artist versus the scientist. And it's Glenn Mills versus uh, Dr. G. Oh, and wow. they, they wanted, uh, um, Steve Roush was funny, he said on a call yesterday, they were talking about maybe doing like a UFC, you know, like a pose of <laughs> their, against, and it's gonna be science based against art. And you know how Glenn Mills is more of an artist when it comes to swimming, Dr. G is more science. Well, it's going to be things like that, which I believe is incredibly attractive to a coach to listen to, to hear and see the different way coaches look at things, right? And, but here's the cool thing, 30 hours of this, you're going to have it all. So everything's going to be right in front of you. And whether you, you can look at a, a track and you can get, let's say it's Bob Bowman. And then that night you've got up to 30 days to watch the Terry McKeever, the Dr. G, the Glenn Mills, the whatever, on demand. You're going to have it on demand, so you're not going to miss anything. It's all going to be there for you. And the price of this is $149, which I think is a very good price point to get 30 hours of whatever material you want from these coaches and from these presenters. And um, we're working out some details right now with how are the exhibitors you know, the exhibit hall is usually a pretty cool thing to go through. How are they going to be presented on this uh, format? And um, 
the app they're using is Wolva, W-H-O-V-A, the Wolva app, and they used it last year. And so another area that I think people go to these conferences for is the networking and the fellowship, just getting together with other coaches and you can share what works and you can share your horror stories. You know, oh my gosh, I had the worst year of my life. It's just nice to be around other people that can relate to what we're all going through and that face-to-face contact needs to be there, right? Well, we're going to have several different chat type functions and meeting and networking that we've probably never seen before because this could be the way of the future in terms of how conferences more and more may be done this way because we're going to be able to bring in more international people who couldn't travel. They're going to be able to access it. You're going to be able to see whatever you want to see when you want to see it on demand for the, for the next 30 days since you know, after the clinic. And I, I'm really excited about what we're planning on getting rolled out there. I know Steve and um, uh, Kyle Mills, Kyle is working in the ask office. He's a whiz when it comes to technology. And I think you're going to see some things that you've never seen before on a teletype conference. So we're excited about that. The 149 price, I want to think, it, I think it goes up a little bit at the after this month of June. And then July is going to have a certain price. Then August will be a certain price. I think by September, it could be up to 249 But right now, I know it's 149 Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure this actually is going to come out before July, so it might be a little higher when, when the gotcha. moment this, this comes out. But uh, uh, good information there in terms of how that's going to work. And I, I think another thing is talking to the point of uh, you kind of being thrown into this uh, board position. One thing that has been pretty cool is that, that Facebook Swim, Swimming Coaches Exchange Group is pretty interesting and it can be very good at times and very uh, polarizing at times. And, and you've been very open, I think, uh, I remember, I guess, since, since you got into the board in terms of asking for feedback out there. And I think that that's a really good uh, point in terms of having somebody that's in this position and ask and really asking the coaches, so like, what do you guys want out of us and how can we be better? And I thought that was yeah. pretty cool to see. Well, we've got it's two of the board members, uh, actually three of them, uh, Jimmy Tierney out in California. Um, I think, yeah, California. We've got um, uh, Jeff Julian. Uh, also out West Coast, uh, Ken Heiss, who's the Mason Manor Race coach up in Ohio. Uh, they just won juniors, uh, juniors last year. He's on the board now. Uh, Chad Onkin over there in the Southeast, um, uh, Virginia, uh, Virginia, Carolina, that area. Um, these are these are not your your average ASCA type. You know, that is the reputation of ASCA being just the, you know the, the old network. Um, these are, these are young up and coming coaches that are giving us really good uh, information and input of, hey guys, it needs to work. Let's go this direction, let's go this direction. So it, it's not to thrive in the future. You can't always do what you've been doing in the past. And we're relooking a lot of things. And I really like the direction things are going right now. That's really cool. Yeah, a lot of coaches that are in the trenches that are doing the coaching day-to-day, not just on the, on the old network. I think that's a good point. Oh, and, uh, and uh, Kathleen uh, Klein-Prindle, she, she's been – did she mention the leadership, leadership uh, part of the ASCA conference? I, I'm not sure she did, if you want to well, talk it, about the, it. You can't – you, you got to spell it out, but it's L-E-A-D-H-E-R-S-H-I-P. So they're, they're taking the her – 
you know, lead her ship. And it's really focused on the female coaches. And um, there's a really strong initiative that ASK is doing at this cyber clinic for female coaches. And interestingly enough, there are some male coaches that have already expressed interest in becoming a part of this and participate because they want to understand how better to coach their female swimmers. And um, so that's, that's what half the coaching staffs out there, half the coaches are female and we've got to make sure that we're promoting and supporting the, in the areas of concern that female coaches have, well, who best to do it than female coaches. So they're getting a really good uh, platform there with leadership. And I really strongly recommend that to the female coaches. Do you have any, I mean, I guess, again, we talk about ASCO, we talk about a little bit about Go Swim. Do you have any other uh, resources that you use to uh, improve yourself or to use to, uh, with your staff, any books or other YouTube channels or other resources you, you like going to for learning? Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of TED Talks. Um, I, I like TED on anything. And I, I just like it to expand your, expand your mind on how you think of things. Um, the possibilities out there are, are limitless, what we can do. Um, my favorite uh, swim author right now is uh, Olivier, uh, Olivier Leroy. And he's got the swim logbook out there. But I, I'm on his email thread, and I get an email at least two or three times a week. And I'm usually sending those out to our entire team base. I mean, that's how good these things are. And he covers topics like how to get out of a rut. You know, what can you do today in practice? How can you make your team better? How can you make yourself better? How can you I mean? It's all uh, how to finish strong. Why should you finish strong? And he writes a couple of paragraphs on it. And it, for some reason, his style of writing just connects and goes right through me like a laser. And uh, you know who he is, right? Yeah, I think at first he was writing a lot for Swim Swam or one of those blogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, yes. his own thing. And uh, so I'm, I'm plugged into anything he sends. If, if I see an email from him, I'm reading it. And there's a lot of times you just, you know, we're so busy and we've got everything going on, all of us, that you kind of have to be um, protective of your time. And there's a lot that you get. No, you know, no interest. But if, his, if it's his name, oh, it's, it's Olivia. Got to read that one. And you mm -hmm. read it. It's, it's, just, it's just awesome. Um, I do read books on culture. Uh, John Wooden. Um, I'm right now reading the book called Legacy about the All Blacks uh, yeah. rugby out of New Zealand. Um, more again, again on culture. Um, I like leadership books. I like an author named Ken Blanchard. Um, he's really easy to read. He's probably more from the eighties and nineties, but one of my, one of my favorite books is called raving fans and the raving fans book. Honestly, you can read the whole book cover to cover in about two hours. It's got real big print and it's easy to read and the pages turn fast and he tells it in a story. And it's pretty much, you know, running, running the business side and taking care of customers and service, which is just so important in today's world where everybody has choices. And it's not just whether they have a choice to be at Gwinnett Aquatics with you or they can go to, you know, Dynamo or they can go to, you know, wherever else is around Swim Atlanta. They could go and do anything else. And they could, they could just leave your team and just stop things altogether because it's easier to be home. It's easier, you know, you don't need to give people extra reasons to leave your program and go do nothing. And we need all the help we can get 
to keep our families and swimmers engaged and wanting to come back and see us every single day. And so anything that's out there, my eyes are open, my ears are open. I'm always looking at ideas. Um, you know, back before the shutdown, you know, I've got two kids now and one's 19, one's 15. But when they were younger, you know, we'd go to Disney on ice. You know, we'd go to, you know, a Disney World once in a while. We'd go to movies and I'd go see, you know, Sesame Street review on stage. And I'm always looking around going, huh, so that's how they got this. Okay, I understand this now. That's why they're doing it. And, and you, if you open your, open your eyes and mind to like what else is happening out there, you can bring those ideas back to your place of whatever it is you do. And um, I get a lot of weird ideas that just, you don't expect to see it, but if you're, if you're open to the possibility, you'll see more things. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. I think that yeah. culture is so important, cannot be overlooked. I'm going to suggest another one. I'm not sure if you read The Culture Code by, I believe it's Daniel Coyle. I've heard. I've heard of it. I have not read it yet. Yeah. But yes, that's, that's a must read. That's one, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's a great one, and uh, The Culture Code might be my favorite culture book. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there's, it's funny, I, I, you know, I go to conferences and clinics, and I still have notes and notes and notes that I've taken that I have never implemented, you know, and I can look back on something like six years ago, I could look at a clinic or a conference and go, oh my gosh, I, I should have done that. You know, I haven't done it yet, you know, because we get, we get in the everyday, you know, every day, every day, every day. It's hard to, there's all these ideas out there and we know, but just pick one thing. You know, pick one thing that you can do if you need to make a change or implement something and do the one thing and then go from there. I remember, I remember going out to um, Hubbard Swim School out in Arizona and it was um, Kathy Hubbard was there. She, wanted, she and her husband own, own Hubbard. And before I went out there, we used to have five minute break between our swim lessons. Well, now we do because of COVID, but um, we used to have a five minute break built in. And parents would leave and kids would leave and new families would come in and we'd start our next lesson five minutes after. Well, every six classes, five minutes times six is 30 minutes. Well, you're, more, you're trying to pay bills. Your most valuable asset that you have is the water that's in front of you when you're running a program. If you're, if you're having to worry about pay bills, right? I'm sure there's some programs that just get their water for them and hey you're, here's your program and you know here's here's your pool but for us it was you know we're always having to hustle and so I sat there at Hubbard Swim School and Bob and Kathy Hubbard there was no five-minute break and they had their kids coming in one way and they come in the other way you know like, like we do now with the virus thing I never thought about that I used to have a nuclear reaction you know families coming in families coming out and all this you know happening in between and I walked out of there and I said, oh my gosh, you just save yourself 30 minutes every six classes. You could put a whole other class in there. That's like huge when you annualize that out, right? Mm -hmm. So it was, that was on, a, I don't know, maybe a Friday or Saturday. By Monday, we already had that change made. We rearranged our schedule, classes changed, everything was moved up, no more five minute break. And that's the way we had been prior to the shutdown. And that was probably 10 years ago. So um, that was like a game changer. And now when I go to conferences or clinics, I, I don't try to have everything to change the world. I just, my goal is when I leave, give me two or three things that are game changers. 
give me two or three items that we can actually change and implement that's going to make the biggest difference this week when we go back on that pool deck. And that way you're not overwhelmed when you're at a clinic and a conference and you're hearing all these ideas and oh my gosh, and then you get, you get overwhelmed and it's like, you, you don't know where to start because there's just too much information. And today with all of the sources that are out there for us at your fingertips, you know, you, you, it's easy to get inundated and overwhelmed by just information overload. There's just so much out there. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it simple, you know? And so that's where you kind of struggle with. There's always kind of all these kinds of good ideas. You read a lot of books. Oh, great idea. Yeah. What can work for us right now? You know? Uh, yeah. What is actionable? Yeah. Um, so I guess one more question in terms of the things like that, though, because I recently discovered the, the Nitro YouTube Swim channel. I don't know how much you have to do with that, uh, that channel or how much you know about that channel, but that actually is something that when we discover, we as a staff were like, oh gosh, like this is, it's really well done. A lot of uh, good instructional videos. Yeah. Um, you know, what's funny. Most of our, um, I guess, feedback comes from uh, the, the audience. There, there's a ton, there's tons of people who subscribe to it. I mean, there's a lot. It seems like the most um, watched and viewed and commented on are the adult learn to swim videos for the adults and how I take, you know, a simple concept, how to float, you know, where you, it's second nature to you, it's second nature to me, but there's someone who's afraid of the water, someone who had a bad experience prior, um, you know, near drowning, uh, whatever, and having to try to get back in the water. A lot of parents that have their kids swimming that can't swim. I mean, the parents can't swim and, it's, I don't know, I forgot the statistic. I want to think it, it might be 60%, last time I heard this, of adults in the world can't swim. I might be wrong on that one, but it's a, it's a big percentage of adults cannot swim. They couldn't save their life if they were thrown in the water from all over the world and how we can change, how we change their lives because we've broken it down, how to hold their breath, how not to get water up your nose, how to float on your back, what happens if your legs go down? It's not a big deal. You know, talking in an easy language that they understand and it starts getting confidence. Start by walking. That weightless feel, you know, that you get in the water. And um, it's, it's really been fun seeing the reactions and the feedback from different countries in the world of, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I've tried to learn how to swim for 10 years, yet this is the first time it's ever made sense. So I, I, get, I get satisfaction from that. That's awesome. Yeah. Keep doing that. Cause they, yeah, but my feedback is, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty cool chat. If somebody listening that has not checked it out, they should. It's a, uh, thank you again, very well done. So, uh, sort of changing the subject a little bit, but I'm, I'm curious if you have any failure stories around your path. I think it's, uh, it's easy to look from outside and, and you build this great club, uh, has two sides of your, of your own as a satellite side, thinking about building a third side. From somebody looking from outside, it looks like it was all home runs whenever you were at bat. I wonder if you have any big failure stories they would like to share so that people feel it's not just a straight path uh, to the success you had to this point. I could write a book on failure stories. And we continue to make mistakes uh, every day. We bump our heads on stuff, bump our noses. I'll tell you some, some big ones that hit us. And I guess I'll call it, um, it's like when a two by four 
you know, smacks you in the head. And when we were trying to build our first location, and every, every construction project has issues and problems, right? But we would be, you know, you're all excited, you're doing something for your project, and, you know, a banker, you know, you, 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 you walk into the, someone to find help finance this operation. And, oh, this sounds great. Yeah, yeah, great, great, great. And you had them all the information, the performance, you did your homework and everything. Yep, we'll call you by Friday. They don't call you. <laughs> and so, you know, do, you, do I call them back and does it look like I'm being a pest or do you wait? You know, you, eventually it gets around to, yeah, we took it to our committee and it doesn't fit our portfolio. Sorry, it's too high of a risk. Um, sorry, I, I must have gotten probably 30, I'm going to guess, it's like Colonel Sanders, you know, trying to sell his chicken recipe. Um, he went to hundreds and hundreds of people, right? And it's a no, 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 no. I've gotten hit by a two by four countless times on things like that for the project. We build the project, we open up, our site supervisor wasn't truthful to the fire marshal. Uh, the site, the construction site supervisor, the guy who was hired by the construction company was not truthful on a bollard that's protecting our propane tanks. Was it filled with concrete? Like it's supposed to be? Yep, filled with concrete. Let me check one. He looks under it, it's gravel. It's not concrete. So now we got a fire marshal who doesn't believe our construction site crew manager. Now he goes back behind the building and says, oh, by the way, I need a new berm constructed because the fire department's gonna have a hard time coming around the side of your building. And oh, by the way, it's gonna be $50,000. This is where we're just opening up. And I can't, I'm not gonna give you a certificate of occupancy until you get that berm built because of the site supervisor not being truthful to begin with. To them and it just made this you don't argue with a fire marshal you don't you don't those are lessons i've learned whatever they say you do and you say yes sir yes ma'am and you just do whatever they want you to do so fast forward we get a dehumidification unit in our first location never was spec properly never was engineered properly lowered by a giant crane these things are huge on the on the on the inside of our building up on a mezzanine area lowered by a crane, the roof gets all sealed over it, and it's not working right. Service, non-existent. They could never get it dialed in properly. So to, the, to this day, we spent maybe $300,000 on a demonification unit. It's gutted, it's hollowed out, and I had to put a duct work right through it to get another unit on the outside of the building of something else to use. From a personnel standpoint, I don't know if you know the story or not, we lost a coach to uh, Safe Sport, uh, lifetime ban, uh, USA Swimming back in 2016. He was our national group coach. He had three national junior teamers on our, in our program at that time with three months away from Olympic trials. And I get called, I get texted by him saying, hey, can we meet? Got to talk to you. Yeah, sure, we'll meet. And he tells me he's been, he signed the lifetime ban from USA Swimming. And that was, I told you, that was in March of 2016. We're three months away from trials. And we just lost our coach of both programs that oversaw the top end of our program at that time. Talk about, talk about getting your nose bloodied, right? Fast forward a year later, 2017. We've got the, um, um, what's it called? Homeland Security in one of our buildings taking pictures in our locker rooms. And I'm like, what's this about? 
well, we're looking, we're trying to match up a locker room. We, we saw some images that looked like someone's taking pictures of the inside of locker rooms. Huh, huh. He says, not a match here. You have another location? Yeah, we've got another location. So they drive over to the other location and uh, they meet us there. And they say, yep, here's the match. We had a maintenance person hired for us that worked for us for a few months before we fired him for stealing from us uh, using company credit cards to buy stuff personal. During that short time he was with us, he got up above the, the ceiling, above the, the roof, made his way over, and put a fisheye-type tube camera-type thing through the air conditioning unit in the girls' locker room, trying to take pictures of the girls' locker room. That hit us. So now I've got news crews with their uh, cameras trying to interview my customers on Nitro to ask them what they thought about this and what they thought about the other coach a year before. And I had a, um, I had a coach, a, a parent, I'm on the pool deck, right? And um, I'm talking to all the parents of the bleachers and saying hi to them, you know, everything's going okay, you know, whatever. I'm trying to keep a, a good face for Nitro saying, hey guys, I really apologize. This happened, you know, four or five years ago, but they just found out about it, right? So we're going back in time trying to figure out, do you recognize anybody, whatever. And the, the images were very, very blurred. You couldn't really see much of anything, but the fact is it still happened in total violation. And I remember a dad talking to me and he said, Mike, he looked me right in the eye and he says, can you guarantee that this won't happen again? And I looked him right back in the eye and I said, no, I can't guarantee it. Nor can anybody guarantee it. I said, a church can't guarantee it. Target, Walmart, McDonald's, an airport, restaurant, Starbucks, you read about the Starbucks stuff all the time, right? With that kind of stuff. I said, we can't guarantee it. I said, but what I need is I need everyone to be vigilant. And when you're on this pool deck watching bleachers, you know, and you're watching what's going on, I need help on eyes and ears, always watching to see who looks like they might be a little bit out of place, who looks like they might be up to something. And that's just the world we live in. So, you know, we've made it through both of those incidents. Granted, I'm wiser. Uh, I'm not near as trusting as I used to be. It makes me have a real sharp eye watching things. Um, we are entrusted to take care of kids and it's our responsibility as best as we can to make sure it's a safe environment for everybody. And we don't mess around with that kind of stuff at all. And it happened twice in our program. So I don't wish that on anybody. And we do our best we can do as a program but that's just a couple examples of, oh my gosh, they went through that. You know, a lot of programs go through some stuff and that was rough, real, real rough stuff. Yeah. Those are terrifying uh, things to go through. I, I imagine. And uh, I mean, I appreciate you sharing those. I guess the life of any coach thinking about going through those, those instances where the trust the parents had in you and the, the kids had in you, not because of yourself, but, but it was abused. Uh, those are probably some of the worst scenarios to go through. No, and you know, we, we've, the, the easiest rule to follow is don't ever put yourself in a position where you're one-on-one -on -one with a kid, with a, with a swimmer, with an athlete, back on the safe sport part, right? You're never one-on-one, -on -one, period. Doors always open. There's always a third-party witness. Um, whenever I have issues, if I'm talking with a coach on something, I always want somebody else there. You know, it's because I like if it's if it's a it's any type of a sensitive topic. It's always good to have a third person 
there listening and watching and observing just because you have witness. And you know what? It, and it's, it's just funny because a safe sport is always about, you know, protecting the athlete. But I look at it the other way also. We're also protecting each other. You got to protect yourself because an accusation could end your career and, it, and you might be perfect. You might be innocent, you know, and um, that's why I like having second, third people around there because now you've got a support witness. No, no, no. I was there. Nothing like that happened at all. This is what, you know, they sworn testimony. You got to go to that part. You got to, you got to watch out for yourself too. So um, don't ever find yourself in this situation. And if you're a coach and if you think something's going on with another coach and somebody go to the police first, your first phone call should be police. It shouldn't be, you know, I'm not saying don't call USA swimming safe sport. I'm just saying the local authorities, if there's something that's happening and you're pretty sure it's happening, let them investigate it, you know, call the police. So, yeah. All right. Uh, uh, this, took, this took quite a downturn. I mean, I, I get, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, you, yeah. Want, you asked for, you said, well, you know, it's always, you know, sunshine in your program. Tell me some other stuff. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll take off my, show my bruises. Here they are. I do appreciate you sharing those. They're heavy topics, but uh, important to talk about. They are heavy. Uh, trying to segue out of it a little bit, a little bit more levity, hopefully. Uh, if you had to, give a presentation or teach a college class from any topic other than swimming. Uh, what do you think that would be? That I, that, gosh, that I think would be valuable for people. Um, I think we need more situational awareness. I think we need more situational awareness. I think we would be such a much better off happy population of people. If we were just more aware of the people around us and if we were better readers of facial expression and body language and just being aware of what you can find out the value in looking at someone's posture and thinking what you might what they might be thinking about it's helped me a lot in our business from a business standpoint when i see a parent in a viewing room watching a lesson for instance and i see the walk and now they leave i'm usually a, a cruise missile and i'll meet them at the front door and if I see something doesn't look quite right, hey, mom, looks like something's going on. What's everything okay today? Oh, it was okay. No, 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 come on. I'm the owner. You know, I know something's going on. What's happening? Well, you know, my son was sitting on the wall for 15 minutes and he was ignored. You know, whatever. Ugh, tell you what, I hate hearing that. You have, um, you have a few extra minutes? Yeah, why? Let me get my suit on. Let me jump in the pool with him. Let's see what I can do in about 15, 20 minutes. You'll do that? Sure, I will. And I do that a lot with families because they're not going to, most upset customers aren't going to tell you they're upset. But if you're really dialed in, you can kind of pick up some subtle cues that looks like things just aren't as great as they could be. Now when that person leaves, that little boy might still be at the same level he was before. But the fact that I took the time to acknowledge that it didn't look like it was great I try as best I can to make sure someone has a great experience in our facility every day. That's what I really try hard to do. And um, you can't win them all. And all you can do is all you can do. And you try as best you can do. But I think as coaches, I think that's just inherent in part of our personalities is we try to be pleasers and sometimes to a fault. Because I will say this, to counter that over the last several years, my armor has gotten thicker. 
Hmm. You know, where you take some arrows in the back, you take a spear in the front, you know, your breastplate's going to, you know, deflect a lot of it. Your back armor is going to take a lot of it because I know you get your, you get your share of criticism. So in, in a way you do want coaches and you do want to care, but you've got to also protect yourself a little bit with some armor, because if you don't, from a mental health standpoint, coaching could take you right down to a place that you don't want to go because you're trying so hard to please, to please, to please. It makes you happy to see the smiles. When you find out you've got some critics out there, it can beat you up and you can let it beat, you, beat yourself up. So um, that's what I would probably teach from a, from a college standpoint, uh, situational awareness, how to handle the emotional ups and downs. Like nowadays, when I was younger, a younger coach, you know, yeah, great day. Oh my gosh, I just got yelled at by, by a parent really upset. Oh, another great day. Now it's kind of like, if this is normal, I'm about there, but I stay a little more steady now. I don't have the high ups. I don't have the low downs, but I try to elevate just a little higher than happy factor. Still happy, but not ecstatic, but I try not to dwell. And I, I'm a little more consistent than I used to be. Um, and that's probably how I've dealt with it and why I'm, I'll be 56 next month, um, why I'm still in the game. You know, I, I, I really enjoy, I still enjoy the game. I think that's a, a great segue to talk about something that I try to talk about with everybody that's been on the podcast so far. And usually yeah. open this up saying, this is always a conversation about two people that really enjoy the sport and really enjoy helping uh, young people and really enjoy serving to the benefit of the sport. But there's, there's a lot of challenges in coaching as a profession. And you were kind of just, just mentioned some of those. I don't know if you want to expand on some of those are and what can be done to mitigate that. I guess you, you just had that in terms of keeping your emotional cue a little bit more steady versus riding the ups and downs so much. And again, you ha you've had a little bit of a different path in terms of go coming to the sport from lessons and coming from the corporate world and knowing what's on the other side as well. I think when people just go into coaching, they, they see that finances into co in coaching are not that great, but they don't necessarily have the experience of uh, that being under fluorescent lights for 40, 50 hours a week. So yeah. again, I, I just, I, but I think that's an important conversation to have in terms of expanding what the, what the challenges of coaches profession are and what can be done perhaps to, to improve those. Well, I remember, I remember reading through some of your questions and I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of part, partly answer this, I believe. When I'm at conferences and I'm talking with other coaches, I, I'm, I guess I'm a little surprised still that there are so many coaches who are so strongly anti-parents. I mean, and they just don't like their team parents and they're vocal about it. And I, that's my dog. Let me shut the door so you can hear me talk. Sorry. That's right. That's right. Um, I don't look at that. I don't, I don't look at our parents that way. My parents are my, um, I try to be friendly with the parents. I need those. And I do believe in the three-legged stool, you know, the athlete, the coach, the parent. And I don't avoid the parents. I'm, I'm around a lot. I might not be coaching a group, but I'm on that pool deck. And any, anytime there's a question, I'll, I'll just sit in the bleachers with a group of parents. How's everything going? You know, and we need them. We need them. So what I do on our team notes, which I think is, is, is seemed to work really good for us, I even see the, um, you'll see the articles online, whether it's on uh, swim blogs or 
uh, Swim Swam will post an article or Swimming World, you know, it'll, it'll talk about, you know, the top 10 reasons why you should keep parents off the deck, you know, or boy, I, I don't, I mean, it's, it's a lot right. of, a lot of anti-parents um, sentiment out there among the coaching community. And I'm not saying it's totally unfounded because I'm sure a lot of it is. I mean, we've all had our share, right? But that's the one or 2%, you know, 98% are, are, I think textbook, awesome swim sport, youth sport type parents. Yet we tend as just, just natural human tendency to focus on the one and 2%, the one and 2%. Um, Hey, great job. Great job. Great job. Great job, man. I thought that practice was horrible. You know, Oh my God, they thought it was horrible. You just had five people say it was great. You know, so what we do in our team notes a lot, like before championship meet season, because that seems to bring out the nerves and the tension, right? And there's a lot more riding on it. You know, I've been, my kid's been going for nine months. You better show me something, you know, and the pressure, the pressure that's just out there and the pressure's in the stands. Well, one of my, you know, typical team notes that goes out is, Hey guys, no big surprise, you know, big meet this weekend. However, remember these words, it's just a swim meet. You know, it's just a swim meet. It's going to be hot. It's going to be humid. People are going to have tensions rising. Do me a favor. As a nitro parent, recognize when you see behavior that's not becoming of youth sports. That's not what you'd recommend to be an ambassador of youth sports. Be smart enough that you can recognize it. I'm not saying get involved. I'm just saying recognize it and say, man, am I ever glad that we're not that way with this program? You know, and because you guys are the greatest, and we have really good parents. We really do. I think they're educated in terms of how, what to do, what not to do. The best advice I've ever heard about being a sport parent was from Cal Ripken, Jr., the baseball player, you know, years and years, Baltimore Orioles. And um, he runs a baseball uh, youth league now, I think, in the Washington, D.C. area. And huge. I mean, thousands of kids play this baseball, youth baseball. And his advice is really simple to all the parents. You know what he says? be the grandparent. That's it. Be the grandparent. Because the grandparent doesn't care the kid struck out. The grandparent doesn't care that the kid blew his turn from lane number eight and just got touched out and missed going to finals, you know, in the 100 free, whatever. The grandparent's going to say, hey, your cap looked really good matching that suit. Man, I loved your goggles. You know, that's a grandparent. And from a parent standpoint, you know, and, and they're, they're pretty well uh, informed by now by me is that at any meet, any practice, there's one thing that your child wants more than anything else over anything. Not about winning the race, not about going to state, not about going to whatever, junior cuts. That your child wants to know that you are proud of them. They want to hear that you're proud of them unconditional, not conditioned based on how they swim, how they didn't swim, how they got their start, how they fall started, how they blew a turn, how they finished. They know that. The kid knows that before anybody else does. They don't need you to second guess, to um, berate, to strategize with them. Just hug them and tell them you love them. I'm telling you, that's the best thing you can do because you're a nitro parent. And we get compliments a lot 
from meat hosts from around the state and from officials saying, oh my gosh, I heard your, your parents are the best. Your parents are the best. We get that a lot. And I make sure when we get those compliments that the entire team of families hear those compliments and see those compliments because that, that tends to perpetuate itself. It's behavior. You're reinforcing the good behavior as opposed to, you know, the opposite. So I love our team parents with our program. You, I guess you mentioned early on that your side coaches do most of the hiring nowadays. Is that right? No, I'm, I'm doing, I'll do the hiring, but they oh, do, they do the running of the practices. Yeah. Okay. So I guess this is another topic that has been pretty interesting to me in talking to some other coaches about how do you go about finding and hiring coaches? Where, what, do you have any strategies to do that? And I've had a lot of people comment that it's, it's actually pretty difficult to find good people to bring into your program. And again, I'm just interested to see how, what, what are people kind of strategies to, to do that? Well, people, people can interview really well and people can look really good on paper. You don't know until they're on your deck and you don't know until you see them coach and you've seen them coach for a while. So I don't have a foolproof way to do this. I don't have the, you know, the end all secret. Here's how you, here's how you hire a really good coach. I don't have that. Um, but we do bring, we do check references. Um, for instance, Allison, Allison Grohl, um, one of my, she's my head age group coach at one of our locations. This coach was persistent. She was just, I mean, every month I get an email from her resume. I want to be on this pool deck. I want to learn from all you guys here at, at, uh, at Nitro. And she was, um, it's about a year and a half later, I had an opening and I contacted her and she came out for the interview and I had a bunch of other coaches. They went to a, you have a top golf, you have top golf there, right? Yeah. We went to a top golf with her and I could see just how she was interacting and the coaching staff just loved her from the moment she, she showed up. And, um, and to this day, she's my head age group coach now at Nitro B cave, but it's, I've got, I've got kind of a bench, you know, a ready bench. And I've got a handful of coaches that want to come on board with us. And they're like in my hopper. And until I have an opening, you know, right now I don't have any room. But every so often I'll drop a quick note. Hey, let you know. I didn't forget about you. But right now, no one's leaving. You know, and so we've got a, a good situation, I guess, in a certain way that our coaches are staying. And it's not the typical, you know, revolving door of – Every year I'm losing three. I got to pick up three. I got to pick up there. You've got some really good consistency right now. But I like to bring out a coach and phone interview first. If it's worth it, fly him out. And I give him two days or so on the pool deck. And it's kind of like a American Idol. Um, you're auditioning, you know, and, and I'll tell them, I'll, I'll give them a set. They want it. You know, hey, group's nine-year-olds. They're doing this. Um, you can do some catch-up stroke 50s or whatever it's going to be. And they go ahead and do it, and I'll just watch. And if it's little kids coaching I'm looking at, I'm making sure that they have the right demeanor, that they speak at the level of what the kid is, the age of the kids. Um, I had a coach who's still with us, been, gosh, probably eight years now. He was funny. He says uh, he had a couple nine-year-old girls in front of him, and he said something about recovery of the backstroke, right? Hey, work on the recovery. And I said, hey. I walked by and I heard this. I said, 
they don't know what recovery means. Of course, <laughs> he says, he said, of course they do. I said, all right, hey, you three, come on out. Tell me what recovery is. Recovery of your stroke, what's that mean? None of them knew. And I explained it to him, you know, backstroke recovery, what it means. And I walked away and I said, know your audience. And, uh, and I kept on walking. So I'll spot check groups once in a while just to hear what's being said. And you have to know who your audience is when you're talking. But I do look for who are the coaches that are crouching down, you know, on that pool deck, talking at their level. Um, who's the one that can be animated? You know, because if you're coaching little kids, I think it's more important to be a teacher than a coach for in terms of animation, describing things, your storytelling ability. Um, I remember Chris Kubik, who was Eddie Reese's assistant for years and years and years. Chris told me this, and to this day, he says he didn't originate this expression, but I give him credit for it anyways. And he always says, thank you, but he didn't make it up. He says, when you're coaching kids, you have as many seconds to make your point as however old they are. So if they're nine years old, you've got nine seconds. If they're 17, you've got 17 seconds. You start going off into some long descriptions of stuff. If you're not a master storyteller and you can't grip their attention, you start losing them, they're not hearing a thing you're saying. And um, I thought that was great advice from uh, Chris. I think of that when I got six-year-old, I got six seconds. You know, eight-year-old, I got eight seconds. So it keeps you on point. That's very good. Uh, a lot of coaches, uh, and, and we know this, but kind of like, we like the sound of our voices and we like talking a lot and, and it's very easy to lose the, the audience when you're talking to a little yeah. kid in the pool. Um, so once you, once you do bring somebody into your program, let's say you just hire a new coach, do you have a strategy to kind of onboard them into the program and, and make sure they assimilate into the program? Well, we've got, we've got a, a, I guess, an unusual advantage that most wouldn't is that we have such a large pool deck and on any given day, let's say there's, you know, nine or 10 coaches at one time across those 23 lanes. And I'll let that coach spend time with each group for a while just to learn each other's coaching style. We don't have clones on our pool deck. They're, they're not, there's no two that are identical. And I don't want to take away that um, original style. Let's say that this coach has, I think there's a danger in trying to be a cookie cutter and saying, hey, you're doing this, here's the workout. I wrote the workout, you're gonna administer this workout. I think as a coach, that's boring. I think part of the fun of coaching is creating your own workouts and knowing what works and what doesn't work for the kids that are in front of you. Um, we do have some common language. You know, we all, everybody's working underwaters. Every team, USA, is trying to work streamlines. You know, we like finishes. So I'm, I'm good at, allowing a coach to do it their way as long as the kids walk away happier than when they walked in and they look better than when they walked in. And if they're happy, want to come back and, and they're looking better in the water. I'm usually pretty, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty hands-off guy when it comes to that. And you did mention your, your mission and vision at the beginning, which very succinct, very to the point. Do you, do you make sure that they understand that and assimilate that, David? I guess when you say you want the kids coming back happy and better, it's kind of the gist of your mission statement, but I'm not sure if you try to. I, I, think, I think there's still a, uh, some of my coaches, they might get a little nervous when they see me walk in because um, I'm the guy that walks behind. I'm checking. 
I'm, I'm spot checking the walls. I'm checking the underwaters. I'm checking the finishes. Um, but I also know as a coach, no matter how much time and effort you give certain kids, they just aren't going to do it. And so I, I've got that understanding, I guess, or empathy for the coach. And, um, but there's things where um, if I'll hear a set and I'll, you know, okay, like a warm up, for instance. All right, guys, easy 200, whatever. And I'm like, my jaw's to the ground because I don't want an easy 200 for a, for a warm up. I wouldn't mind an easy 200 for a warm up for a little group of nine or 10 year olds if every wall past the fourth line underwater, breathe on your third stroke, uh, approach every wall. I want to see meat speed in the red zones, whatever it's going to be. I want specific, deliberate practices. I don't want to leave a nine-year-old to their own vices to swim eight lengths however they want to because it looks like little atoms colliding again. And um, I want specific things to work on. Anything that they say, I want a purpose. So I'll say, what's the purpose of this? Or a coach sometimes, and I think every coach falls in this trap every, every once in a while, sometimes more than others. The trap I think coaches fall into, just because the coach might be a little bored with their own workouts, they think the kids are bored with the coach's workouts. And so these coaches will come up with these elaborate, you know, whiteboard workouts and two times through this and grab your paddles for this and snorkel in for this one and lose the snorkel, put your fins on, you know, and there's so much activity going on. I think you lose the purpose of just making them better at something simple. And a good coach could take the concept of, let's say, body waves, all right, dolphin kicking, whatever, body waves. And I think they could do that for an hour and still make it exciting in the 59th minute as they did in the first minute. But it's up to the coach to deliver that excitement and exuberance and get the kids to, you know, motivated to, to work harder and get better. And you do it through things like, all right, I'm picking the top two who I just see who moves their forehead the most forward when they're breathing out every four or who's got the best rhythm that I can't tell when they breathe and when they don't breathe. Nothing changes when you breathe. Ready, set, go. You know, and they do those things. A good coach can do that. A good coach doesn't need the perfect workout. You don't need to be a, a workout writer. Oh my gosh, I just created a masterpiece of a workout. Well, it doesn't mean a hill of beans. If you got kids coming off the wall with their arms apart and their heads up and they're breathing, I mean, they're breathing backwards, whatever they're doing, it's not going to help the situation. So I'm a basics kind of guy. I'm really fundamental, north, south, east, west. Let's do it right. Once you can crawl correctly, now we'll walk. Once you can walk, now we'll run. But I think some coaches get out there, and my staff included, will send these workouts of like that they're running, but they're still not even at a jogging pace for really, you know, for reality. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Absolutely. I think, honestly, I'm, I'm thinking about personally, I, I might be guilty of writing uh, workouts that are far too elaborate for the audience that I'm working with at times. And I think yeah. it's great advice. It's just make it simple and, and know I guess the main thing is know what you're working, know what your goal is before you start writing out a workout, right? I mean, if, if, yeah. if your goal yeah. is to get better streamlines, you can just do 25s or 50s and don't have to, to vary a whole lot to do streamlines. 
yep. right? And, get, and got consistency. So I think it, I'm a, I joke around that when I do this podcast, uh, I always know that I have a captive audience of one, which is me. Yeah, <laughs> so if, if nothing else has been good for me. Well, you know, I, when I was coaching a group called our gold group, you know, a little, probably nine and 10, 11, 12 year olds that I would say probably anywhere from like an A level to maybe a B, you know, swimmer, that, that level of swimmer. Um, there's a couple times a season, eh, maybe about once a month that I had an hour and a half with this particular group and we do 10, 500s. And, um, I mean, I'm a 25s guy. I like fifties. I like 75s. I love multiple three. I like, I love three hundreds, you know, for some reason, I just love threes for some reason. And, but we would do 10, five hundreds. And the first time you say that you tell them ahead of time, you know, Hey, Wednesday night, 10, five hundreds, because the moment they get there, there's no warm up. It's just gonna be 10, five hundreds. And we say, I say five on nine minutes, potty break, five on eight minutes. And that lets you do this. You get it done in an hour and a half. Comes out almost perfect, right? Five on nine is what, 45 minutes? Yeah, and five on eight is 40 minutes. It's an 85 minute workout and you have time for a bathroom break in the middle. And by the way, the last one's off the blocks. Number 10's off the blocks. And the reason why I would do that back in my coaching days of that group was if there was a meet coming up in a week or two, I wanted most of my kids doing the 500. If there was a 500 offered and there was no cutoff time, you know, we would, we'd enter the 500. And at the swim meet, when it's meet time, they'd all come up. Okay, coach, ready for the 500. Hey guys, remember a week and a half ago, we did 10 of these. And number 10 was off the blocks. Right now, you've only got to do one. You know, and it really, it really changes their perception of the 500 freestyle for an age grouper. When they can knock out 10 of these things and do them well, they're on the block for one. They're not afraid of it. They're not afraid of it. And most kids doing the 500 free was eight, nine, well, not eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds. They're just, they're so careful. They're so careful. They're so careful. Last 50, what happens? You know, they set a yeah, speed like Four seconds faster in the last 25. Then. <laughs> and, and you get them to understand that it's five 100s on the fastest possible interval you can keep. You know, whatever the interval is you can hold, there's five of them right there, back to back to back to back to back. And um, we usually had pretty good success for 500s in age groupers. because I think because they went 10 500s in practice. And so I, I'm not an all-distance all guy. Um, I'm not an all-spring guy. But I think, I think everything has its merits. And I think when used appropriately, you can get a lot out of 10 500s. That's a good one. So. Right. Uh, just a couple more questions here before we wrap up. And if you could pick up to three, it doesn't have to be three, but up to three skills or qualities you would like every kid that go through your program to have, and this could be swimming related or not swimming related, what would those be? I would have to put grit, uh, persistence, resilience, and empathy and kindness. Sorry, I gave you five or six. That's right. Empathy, <laughs> I, 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 empathy, empathy and kindness can be hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not like we're playing a game with rules. I like when people break the rules. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Empathy uh, and kindness, um, but be able to take a hit and get back up and know that it's just part of life. I think that's important. Again, I, 
go back to situational awareness also, knowing what's happening around you. But I think empathy, knowing what other people are feeling and trying to feel for what they might be feeling, I think that's a really important skill. Um, I tell my kids that, you know, the number one compliment that I can get as a coach of them when I hear another team or a official or another timer from a parent, you know, a parent time behind the blocks, the number one compliment I can get is, man, your kids are really nice. They're just nice kids. And the second most important compliment I can get, I tell the kids this, is that they know how to race. But I said, don't forget the order. I said, number one is nice. Number two, you know how to race. It's not the other way around. And uh, I just want nice kids. I want, I want a family. I want to walk in these swim centers and know that we've got nice, nice kids in the water. That's a great point. And I think every coach I talked to kind of would agree. And I, I definitely feel the same way. Whenever you get a compliment from a volunteer at a meet or that, that your kids are, are behaving like yep. just like nice human beings is always, always makes your chest nice. puff up. Yep. It really nice. does. All right. So uh, last, effectively last question that I ask is after this, again, again, we already talked a lot about your, your path to this point, a lot of the things you, uh, you believe in and what you want to see and how you, how you like uh, to, to treat your staff. Is there, what is the most important thing people should know about you if it hasn't come out yet? Um, you know, it's funny. I saw the question earlier and, um, and I don't know if it's important, but it's just something that you might not know, I guess, that people might not know about me is I, I usually pull for the underdog. Um, I, I pull for the underdog. I pull for the kids and all through my life, ever since, you know, first grade, um, I remember um, some kids weren't being picked to be on the kickball team, you know, at playground. And I remember saying, if they're not playing, I'm not playing. You know, if they're not allowed to play, then I'm not going to play either. And um, I, just, I just have that about me that the kids who aren't given the physical abilities that other kids have, I, I've always been, I guess, a, a cheerleader, an advocate for the kids who have more challenges. It's just more challenging for that kid. It comes harder. Um, I love hard workers, love hard workers. And I would take a team full of hard workers that are not even B-level swimmers, that have no feel for the water, but just that are happy kids to be there over any championship team that I thought weren't the greatest kids in the world in terms of the niceness. I'd rather take, I'd, 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 rather, I'd really take the bad news bears than the little league champions. Um, to coach them, to be around them. Um, I guess that's, that's a weird answer, I know. No, I think that's, that's very good, and I think it also speaks to why you're still working with the novice kids, why you're still working with the, the group. You, you mentioned many times you, talk, you like talking to because they're at the back of the lane. I think that really goes hand in hand with yeah. uh, all the things you said, and it's, it's, it's great. And, and also to the qualities you said you want the, your kids to have, uh, having the empathy, having the kindness, uh, and and being nice kids over over being great racers, but also being great racers. I'm all, I'm also a firm believer in um, your thoughts and words. You, you move closer to where your thoughts and words are, and if you speak good things and you speak favor, I believe that you continue to move towards that direction. Um, you haven't seen me a lot lately on the different exchange groups, 
um, because I saw it kind of, you know, spiraling to it in a direction that I didn't necessarily want to be around. And for me to protect, I got to protect this, right, and protect myself. And part of my armor is making sure I'm listening and reading and being around the things that I think are going to be helpful and positive. I'm not trying to be a, that you put your head in the sand and not the bad things in the world aren't happening, but there's a lot of bad things in the world happening. And I just don't want to dwell and always go there and be there because it, it, you got to protect yourselves. I just think it's a mental health thing for all of us coaches. We've all got challenges right now. I mean, it's, it's not easy for any of us. I don't, if you're in the water, not in the water, either way, it's not easy. And um, you can let yourself go to a spiral if you allow it and you've got to catch yourself and say, yeah, you know what? I mean, I'll tell you right now, XM 128 is one of my go-to stations. Now it's on my car and it's, 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 uh, it's just positive 30 minute messages. And um, most of the time it's how to be a better person, you know, and how to more character traits and how to avoid the traps that are out there in the world. And, I continue to feed myself with the positive stuff. My wife is funny because she says, you know, this stuff doesn't bother you. What's wrong? It doesn't bother you. And I said, I'm just trying to be more grounded. You know, there's only so much I can control. And you have to know what you can and what you can't. And it's not my will to be done. It's thy will be done. Whatever happens, it's going to happen. And we'll figure out a way to navigate and get through it. So like right now, most coaches, if you're like me, you're wondering, what are the schools going to do this fall? How are the schools going to be set up? What's going to happen? Okay, if schools do this, what if this? If schools, And you can do scenario A through Z. Right now, I'm just sitting back going, let me wait until I know what I know. And let me deal with facts. If you give me the facts, I'll try to figure out how we're going to make this thing work. But I can't do it until I know what our game, what our field's going to look like. What's the field going to look like? Is there going to be grass? AstroTurf, rain, sunshine, you know, that's my game plan. I got to see what it is first. So that's, that's it. A great, that's a great one. Just not, I mean, obviously there's going to be some challenges, but once you have the information, it's important to, to have some ideas out there, but there's no point in suffering by anticipation. Right. Right. Uh, well, so Mike, thanks again for agreeing to take the time. I think this has been great. I really appreciate it. I don't know. If I hope you can find some value in it. Oh, I mean, like I said, I, uh, at a very minimum, there's one person listening that gets a lot of value from this conversation, and that's me. So I, I'm doing this. I'm hoping that other people enjoy it as much as I do, because for me, this has been great, uh, every single one of them. Through, through the power of editing, you can make that sound good. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I mean, there's going to be some breaks here, but I, uh, it, was, it was good regardless. I appreciate it. It's I, my I don't pleasure. Know if, yeah. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts or anything else. Or if you want to put weights out there for people to get in touch uh, or any social media, if people want to follow. Yeah, easy. Like I got an easy email, um, M-I-K-E at nitroswim.com. Mike at nitroswim.com. Easy. And I'm not a Twitter guy. I've got Coach Mike something at Nitro, but I don't, I don't, I'm not a Twitter guy. Um, I don't do Instagram or Snapchat. I think that's part of why I'm kind of a simple life. But I do, I'm on Facebook though. Um, and uh, let's see what else can I tell you. Oh, it's just challenging times for all of us, but we're going to get through it. So I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's awesome. 
it could not be done without great guests. So I really, again, really appreciate you agreeing to, to do this. Thank you. And that was it for another episode of the Swim Coaching Transit Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. And if you made it to the end, I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy this, please take a few seconds to give this podcast five stars or a positive review on whatever podcast player you use. And if you like to hear more shows like this, go ahead and subscribe. Once again, I'd like to thank Mike for taking the time for this interview in the middle of a pretty chaotic time. As he mentioned, and you could hear from his voice, things have been pretty hectic, and yet he was very willing to schedule this as soon as I got in touch. And remember to check out the show notes on my blog, swimcoachingtransit.com. That's swimcoachingtransit, all spelled out together in lowercase with no dashes or special characters. There you can always find links to books, websites, and all other resources we talked about. And there were a ton of those in this episode, so head over there to check those out. And thanks as always to my good friend Madhu for the soundtrack to this podcast. You can also find his Instagram info in the show notes. And also thanks to Zapslat for the sound effects. And that's it. Thanks again, and I hope you catch the next one.